Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast may contain strong language and matter of an aggressively artistic nature. Bringing you insightful interviews from industry insiders across the arts. This is Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Dark Unicorn in Conversation. The actor Denham Spur has been pretty ubiquitous these last few years, if you've taken any interest whatsoever in London's burgeoning LGBT plus theatre scene. Whether in the HIV monologues at Shoreditch's Ace Hotel, No Sweat at the Pleasance, or the Chemsex monologues at Islington's King's Head, he has been at the forefront of most of the edgier works holding up a mirror to aspects of particularly urban queer communities. He's also lent his performance skills to the Sexual Health Clinic 56 Dean Street for a web series on sexual health for gay men, and has directed the gay fairy tale Happily Ever Pufter for production at a variety of venues. In addition, he is a board games enthusiast, something which he talks about while discussing another side to his career. This interview was recorded at the end of May, before the ending of Denham's relationship with his then-partner. Unfortunately, it's not been possible to eradicate all mentions of that relationship from the footage, and we apologise for any distress this may cause. Um, tell us a little bit about your early life, where you came from, and, and, um, and what that was like. Uh, okay, so I was born in Surrey, uh, very green, green, boring, green Surrey, uh, and uh, had a very kind of like standard. My my parents came from very working class backgrounds, and I had a, had a, but they'd kind of they worked hard and they'd earned enough money to kind of move out into a more own their own house and kind of existence but weren't wealthy and we were living with people in the same area people that, that were very wealthy in some cases the road right next to mine growing up was um full of million pound houses basically um uh so i think that's where i got my ridiculous accent from because <laughs> i sound like a, a posh wanker but actually um uh, if you speak to the rest of my family they don't sound like this at all um, so yeah, I, I had a very kind of uh, aspiring working class upbringing, really. Um, and I was the first in my family to go to university. Um, I worked really hard. It's fortunately was naturally quite intelligent, which helped. Um, and then uh, went got into a really really good A level um, school. It's called the Wilsons. It's one of the best mm -hmm. comprehensive A level schools in the country. 
and then went to university. So um, it was kind of like I had very, I'd say humble uh, upbringings, but um, there were a lot of kind of outside influences that kind of shaped the person I think I ended up becoming. Uh, and where did theatre and performance first enter your life? Um, I joined a Sunday school. What was it called? That's annoying. I can't remember what it was called. It was in uh, a, a place in Carshalton in Surrey. And my grandma had, had done this course uh, as a kind of mental health assistance thing. She struggled a little bit with that. And um, she's, she's kind of said, oh, I had a really great time. You should do it. And they happened to do a kind of, for, for younger people who were interested in performing arts as a kind of potential career at some point they did this kind of Sunday school and so I joined I joined that and that was a real kind of excellent first step on the uh, performing arts ladder um, learned tons I learned loads on that on that course and then off the back of that I joined an amateur society and it happens to be a ridiculously wealthy <laughs> amateur society in Chipstead which is not far from where I where I grew up and um they've got their own theatre it's converted stable it's basically people that have died and bequeathed all of their belongings to uh, to this this cute little amateur theatre and it it's it's just a gold mine it, it it could easily be a professional space it's it's stunning and you're working with some of them are kind of people who have, have acted in the, in the past some of them aren't but are quite good nonetheless and uh good good directors and that kind of thing so and also professional st uh, stage managers and all that kind of thing so that was also a fantastic opportunity in my early life considering in school I didn't do drama like drama wasn't a subject in my school so um, I, I had all of that was extracurricular and then I went decided having loved all that side of it that drama would have to be what I studied at, um, at university so uh, that's kind of the route in I guess. And where did you study where and um, where did you train uh, afterwards? Uh, Exeter. We went to Exeter University and did drama with Spanish because my parents were like, you must get a degree uh, because go to drama school straight off is a waste of time. Not sure I quite agree with them, but um, uh, I, I'm glad I got the degree, actually, in hindsight. I think that it, it, I, Exeter is an amazing place to study, especially for drama. It's a really excellent course. And um, I, so I did, a, I did three years there and then I did a year in London kind of uh, doing all drama school auditions and uh, did a few professional gigs in that time and also amazingly ended up on the Olivier Awards judging panel mm. which how that happened I've got no idea but um, so I did all that in a year and then went to Oxford School of Drama for a year um, and when I graduated that then I was like a fully fledged actor. You've uh, ended up where you are at the moment via a slightly turbulent period which you've spoken of quite a lot where um you're both presumably attempting to forge some sort of career but also experiencing homelessness um yeah. do you want to talk about that that was a real challenge actually because uh, i put up to went to drama school is also i i kind of ignored i think part of the reason why i was on a trajectory of success is because all of my attention was on my education i just i had because I was repressed homosexual, basically, I, 
I didn't, I had girlfriends and that sort of stuff, but I didn't really put any much, much effort into them. Sad times for them. Um, but uh, uh, it meant that my work was just like everything. And so then at drama school, drama school obviously teaches you to kind of get more in touch with who you really are. And that made me explore this kind of part of me that I hadn't really explored ever. Fell in love with a guy. And then my whole world kind of crashed around me because internalized homophobia my own view of myself that relationship ended it, it was just so much mess um and then I left drama school in probably the worst possible state that you could leave drama school in really I think drama schools don't do enough to um to, to for their to look after their students sometimes because they are really taking them apart piece by piece and it's there I think they have an obligation to make sure they're okay mm. um and I, I got I had psychologist, like a psycholo psychologist that I I had to pay for when I was at drama school. It wasn't provided by the school, and I really needed it, and I needed more, and I needed post drama school kind of guidance. And I I didn't get anything. I, I heard some people even got a phone call from the the head of the school, and I didn't get a single thing. And so I think that's that they they really let me down there actually. Mm. Um, on top of that, that was also me coming out, and my my parents weren't the most liberal in terms of that. Um, they had very conservative values, at least on my dad's side and my mum's side, less conservative, but still the, the gay thing just, it hadn't really, it wasn't really part of their world. Um, and I think then they saw, because of that view, they saw me then immediately, they expected the worst, I think, because my uncle actually had died of AIDS. And I never knew I was told he was going to die of cancer, but um, I found out later that he died of AIDS, which I just thought was a complete travesty that I'd never been let in on that. Um, that they, they, there was an opportunity there for me to understand myself a bit better, I think, and I was never let in on that. Um, and, and also what a sad time for him as well, is that I think that I would have really loved, I, I didn't know him well, but that could have been an opportunity to do that. And um, so I think, my relationship with my parents just broke down. And because of that, I kind of went off and was like, well, what does this mean being a gay person? I went out into the into the wide world and within two minutes I was offered drugs and with three minutes I was offered money. Mm. And I think that was too tempting and too, and too, ne too necessary for me um, at that time because I needed something to make, one, make me forget about uh who the the kind of nightmare that was going on in my head and two the fact that i one it eventually didn't have somewhere to live which because my parents my parents just broke down so much that i couldn't go back and then with the drugs they just it, it just i think it, the whole thing got mixed in together and and it just ended up being a complete breakdown of communication between us and that's a real shame because it, it ended up resulting in five years of my life which well, just like, I think about it now and it's just such a mad experience. And I, 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 it's really interesting because you talk to me now and most people think like, they couldn't even imagine the fact that I was homeless because I don't look like someone or speak like someone that might, might have been. But, but I was. And it, it was just a really challenging time where I did things that I would never even a million years think of doing now mm. because I had to um, in order to have a roof over my head. Of course. And do you think that, that in the period since that, um, has it informed your life and work since, or is that something you sort of block? Without a doubt. I mean, I, I, 
I was deter- I, I'm, I'm quite a political person, but I think that actually that experience has made me more political. Um, I was definitely political before that happened, possibly not in the right the way that I consider the best way now. I might have been a very different person had that all not happened to me. Um, I've definitely voted conservative, for example, in the 2010 election, whereas you wouldn't find me voting conservative with a barge pole now. <laughs> um, uh, and so I've, I think that, that, that not only has it informed my politics, but it also it, it, may, it formed the kind of work that I wanted to do. And I was really interested in telling stories about, because I just thought it was mad that there are so many young, was it one in four um, youth homeless is LGBT? One in four, and we only make up 10% of the population. Mm. So that's a completely disproportionate amount of people that are, um, that are LGBT and homeless. And, and I lifted the lid on this whole world. I was like, this is so wrong. And on, on top of that, I then experienced everything to do with the, go- uh, the government systems that are in place generally, as opposed to LGBT related, but generally for people that are homeless and how it just traps them in a circle. And I was like, this needs to change. And so I've not only uh, have, have I kind of explored more LGBT focused stuff in my work. Um, yeah, so um, I, I was unfortunately diagnosed with HIV. And so I wanted to create work that, and I, I think I got HIV not because of lack of information and not knowing what I, what, I, what, was, what was safe, what the real risks were, because the education in school because of Section 28 was so terrible. Um, uh, I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for. I had a straight, a heterosexual view of what sexual health was, not a homosexual view of what that was. And that didn't help. And so I wanted to do something, do work that kind of explored that, which I'm very fortunate to have done. Uh, but also I wanted to do work that explored homeless. And so I've I've uh, done a lot of work with cardboard citizens who are a homeless um, theatre company uh, and very um, had an amazing opportunity to perform on the Barbican stage in the 50th anniversary of Ken Loach's Cathy Come Home, the stage version, which was just an amazing experience and really kind of uh, just lifts the lid on how, how, how awful it is that in a country of the kind of wealth that we have in this country, that any individual has to be homeless because they don't um and it, it, it you could change it in, in within a month if if you had the willpower to do so so yeah um uh, it has definitely informed my work a lot and i i'm very lucky to have worked with some really inspiring people who are also doing similar work mm. do you consider then your work in theater to be as much um activism as acting i suppose yeah um i think i had i think that's i think i also realized that that was where my career was asking me to go it was almost like it was telling me that that's where i needed needed to be in terms of where the jobs were um i think had the homeless thing and everything else not happened i think i would have had a very different type of career i could have got other kind of work um but when you look like I, I see pictures of me back in the homeless days and I, I didn't look well. <laughs> and so you're going to be playing people that don't look well. <laughs> uh, and, and, and also you end up meeting people, you, the circles you move in, you meet people that are exploring uh, similar issues. And if, you, if you're as vocal about it as I am on social media, which I decided was a really important thing to do, because so few people are even, so it's ha- if it's one in four LGBT people, 
uh, that are that in the homeless sector, then I think it, it, there's clearly so few LGBT people that are brave enough to speak about it. And I don't think that gives me a badge of honour, but I think that it's, it's an important thing. Um, and I can, I have the, the strength to do that, so I should. And because of that, that's also, people have reached out to me. The last job I did, for example, was um, called No Sweat, and that was set in a sauna. And it was about people sleeping in saunas for somewhere to stay when they were homeless. Uh, and that was written, the writer, Vicky Moran, approached me to interview me about the, the text and then said, oh, I've written the play. I want you to be in it as well. So I think that the two things are uh, impossibly linked. Um, and I'm very grateful for that, really. You, I mean, you've undertaken a, a wide variety of different, not only different roles as an actor, but you um, you act, you direct, you produce. Um, yeah. You is there a do you have a preference for which m mode you operate in or um has that changed as things have gone on changes. it really changes and i think that i i miss each one when i'm not doing it um and love each one when i'm doing it that's the thing is that i i think i'm i think i'm I personally i think i'm the best director of out of all of them i think i'm a, i think i'm a quite a good actor i don't think i'm the best actor that ever lived um uh, uh but i think i'm quite a good one uh i i think i'm a better director than that um i think i i have a really good eye for that kind of kind of thing and unfortunately directing jobs i've done some and i'm really happy ever put is one of the things i'm proudest of in terms of uh, my directing and but directing is a hard i mean if acting is hard directing is 10 times as hard i think to crack into because you really have to have had that kind of oxbridge upbringing to to get into it even more so than um acting i think because there aren't these drama schools really for directors they, they do exist a little bit now but when i was training for example that was not the case there weren't those kind of opportunities for a director so um yeah i think um uh, i i love doing all of them and I'm very lucky that I spend 90% of my working life doing what I love. And outside, of course, of that, you've, you've got various other strings, too, but not least, uh, I see it sitting behind you there, the game that you've designed, uh, which is yeah. be released in 2022. Right. Yeah. Tell us, talk us through that. Uh, so this is a, a very new thing that I, I, two years ago, I had a bit of a, a crisis. <laughs> it was a crisis and I was like ah oh, what do I do with my life I'm not sure I'm happy and so I went traveling to find myself because you know that's what you do uh, and um, fortunately I'd inherited some money from my grandma uh, who unfortunately passed away and I, I was like well it's pointless for me to this it's not, it wasn't it wasn't a huge sum it was just a, a, a sum that I was like well it's sitting in my bank is gonna do nothing I probably would just slowly pick away at it um, so I went traveling, I uh, went to Colombia and the, and the Caribbean and uh, it really worked, actually it helped me find myself and I came back and I was like, I need a new hobby. I think because my, my work acting was my hobby, right? And then when it comes to job, it's like, well, what's your hobby anymore? And I think it's important that we have hobbies as human beings that kind of expand our minds in ways that we can't otherwise see. And so I came back and was like, what, what else do you really like doing? And, and board games. I just love playing board games. I've always loved those as a kid. And so I was like, well, New Year's resolution, make one. 
how about you make a board game? And so I did. And then I found out on Meetup, there was these playtest groups that people go to in London. And so I went along, took my game along to this group and they savaged it, uh, <laughs> tore it apart. I was like, this is awful, this is awful. But I think within all that, I realized that I had a, a, a kind of natural ability at, at, at the game design aspect. In, in it, it, and that I, I felt the challenge of something to, to get better at it. I felt there was opportunities to get better at it. Um, and it's also just an amazingly friendly, open, welcoming community that I was, I was, in, I was just captivated by it. So um, uh, off the back of that, I just kind of kept things, kept kind of exploring new ideas. And then I met my partner, uh, Kane, who worked, worked on cruise ships actually when I, when I first spoke to him on Facebook. We met on Facebook, if you can believe it. Um, and we were talking for six months on Facebook before we actually met in person because he was on a cruise ship traveling the, the world. Then he came back to, to the UK. We kind of had a romantic whirlwind three-month uh, relationship before he had to go off again. Um, but we then had a long-distance relationship. And because he was so far away, I wanted something that would remind me of him and make me feel close to him. And a game about cruises uh, was what, what did that. So the game has been inspired by uh, my relationship with my partner. And also I had the fortune of a bit later in, my, in Kane's uh, contract, uh, I went out onto the ship with the game. So it's been played on the ship with actual real life passengers, which is great. So it's, yeah, it's just a game about uh, cruising around the Caribbean, picking up uh, guests and taking them on the cruise of a lifetime, basically. Um, lots of fun, uh, lighthearted, uh, but strategic and fun and uh, interesting at the same time. But then I thought, well, let's see if I can do something with it. Because mm. that's always, like I say, hobbies becoming jobs, clearly a bit of a problem of, of, of mine. <laughs> and, uh, and so I sent it off to publishers and amazingly, loads of them were interested. Uh, they were like, this is great. Um, and, um, and I signed the game a month ago with Talon Strike Studios, who are an American-based uh, publisher and they will launch it out in 2022 uh, yeah so between now and then I've got lots of kind of development and playtesting to do of it so if anybody wants to playtest uh, dicecruise.com um, get in touch so uh, yeah I suppose this is a two-part thing really I mean how have you been getting through lockdown and also what sort of do you have a sense for what the future might be post post-COVID for the arts and for theatre particularly? Would you have a hope for what that future might be? Oh, I, oh, I have a hope for one. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the hope for one I don't think is realistic. Um, it's weird for me. Um, uh, so the, the lockdown, lockdown I've had ups and downs, but on the whole, I think I've been fine. Um, I've worked from home a lot. Like As a producer, when, you're, like, when I was producing Happily Ever After, one, for a large part of that tour, it was in Australia. And so I wasn't there. Um, and so you have got to do that remotely from home. Uh, and generally speaking, I've done a lot of work from home over the last five years of my career. So I'm used, I'm used to it. So the adapt, the only thing was I can't go out at all. And I am quite a kind of outdoorsy person on the whole. Um, so that took a bit of, I had a bit of ups and downs and I've had some moments where I just kind of end up just being like, oh, I just need to zone out and sit in bed all day long. Um, but obviously I had a whole lot of things in the pipeline. I had Happily Ever Fufta was 
doing the rest of its international tour. It was going, uh, it was returning to London, it was doing a UK tour and then doing Edinburgh, um, then going to Prague and a few other, uh, Belgium. And it just had loads of things in the diary for that. Um, and that's all gone. Um, and so that was a whole year's worth of work that evaporated in a day, basically. So that was terrifying financially. And unfortunately, again, the government's uh, self-employed thing hasn't, our part, my partner and I haven't qualified for it because there's so many holes in it still. Um, so financially, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a challenge, to be honest. And I unfortunately don't really see a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm sorry to be depressing about that. But um, I think the reality is that the industry is fucked <laughs> um at least for the time being i don't see a version a safe a safe version of the industry that enables it to open and that we have to adapt basically is what we have to do we have to we have to find new ways of of telling our stories and that probably means a shift out of live theater at least live theater that isn't in open spaces i think open spaces live theater could be could be a new like there could be a big boom of that and that'd be interesting how that how that works um and using spaces that are, are for other things so like car parks and and those kind of things uh i think cinemas for example might do that a lot is the the return of the the car the car car park cinema um yeah. you might see that kind of thing more um but yeah i think i I feel quite lucky that the Dice Crew's publishing deal came when it did, because it came basically at the start of lockdown. And so it's given me a completely different trajectory for the time being to focus on. Um, I'm, I'm also about to help out with uh, the graphics on a, a a new digital drag escape room, um, which is called Drag Me Out of Here, which is, uh, which is lots of fun. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be uh, kind of getting involved with uh, over the next few few months. So that's another thing performatively that I'm kind of able to, and there'll be pre live presenters, but it's all done uh, via Zoom. Uh, so I think we're going to have to explore more options like that. Um, how how and how that does it, and we might see the whole theatre world turned on its head, which in some ways is a good thing because I think working in the board game world, I've seen how non-elitist that is, and that was a stark contrast to the acting world, which is so elitist, I think, that it might do go some way to undo some of that, which I that's a silver lining, uh, if you ask me, is that I hope that that does happen. I think it'll certainly be, it'll certainly be an interesting six to 12 months, really, seeing how it goes. I, I, I agree with an awful lot of what you said about that. I think that's, um, um, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. Um, you have a, a wide range of supporters for your work, but there is one charity in particular that you've mentioned to me previously yeah. that's been very supportive of the work you're producing. Do you want to talk about that? So uh, this is Ones with Oasis, who are just the most beautiful charity. Um, they are an HIV support charity based in South London. Um, they've got about, uh, they're going to criticise me if I get this wrong, but I'm going to go for eight, eight stores. Yeah, maybe, maybe more. Um, which are just great. And you go in there and you can find the most wonderful things if you're just interested in finding stuff in charity. It's a real eclectic mix of stuff, but not your traditional charity shops, basically. Um, they've got some really great stuff in some of them. 
um, but they, the work they do, the, and also the thing is, you're by buying something, you're funding the work they do, which is supporting not only um, HIV-related stuff, but artistic projects which help increase the visibility and fight stigma for HIV. And they, I've done quite a bit of work that does that. So uh, I've, I've done the first season of The Grass Always Grinder, which was the Dean Street um, web series, 10 million views on YouTube, madness. Uh, but but uh, the, uh, that, um, uh, that was part funded by Ones with Oasis, the first season, which is fantastic. And then Happily Ever Pufta also has an HIV kind of stigma reducing message. Um, and they've helped fund that as well. And generally, just if I need anything, like theatre-wise, it's great to know if I needed a prop, and I was like, God, like, and and where can I get that prop from? They probably have something that works, and they're really great at just lending it to me. Um, uh, which, when you're a kind of struggling create creative, that's making being a director or producer is hard work if you haven't got the financial kind of backing, which I just don't have. Um, so the support of One Sort of Oasis has been invaluable. Um, and Richard uh, Aldridge, who is kind of my main port of contact there, um, is just an absolute diamond. So, yeah. Well, there will be more information uh, for that down below as well in the description on whatever platform you're watching this on. Um, one of the uh, people who 2012 has spirited away was James Lipton, who um, was the presenter and founder of the Inside the Actors Studio um, broadcast and, and um, non-credit class, actually, um, as it was. Uh, he liked to finish off the main part of his interviews with um, 10 sort of rapid-fire questions, which uh, he had, had taken from elsewhere. It was originally goes back to Proust, um, although I don't think Proust asked all of these. Um, so I'm just going to rattle through those and see what you, what's your name? Uh, what's your favourite word? Oh, uh, indefatigable. And your least favourite word? Moist. <laughs> now, this question you can take whatever way you like. What turns you on? Oh, um, politics, is that really, really boring? <laughs> No, that's uh, somebody with a political, um, strong political uh, mind, I think. And what turns you off? Mm. God, this quickfire thing is not working out too good, is it? Um, turns me off. Um, uh, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise do I love? Um, ah, the sound of the violin is just stunning. And what sound or noise do you hate? The sound of the birds outside my window in the morning. <laughs> What's your favourite swear word? I think probably fuck. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would love to be a politician, actually, which um, probably is insanity at the moment. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, I think I, I would love to represent uh, and help make a difference in the world in some way. Um, and if that was a politician or you know, uh, human rights lawyer or something like that, that'd be great. And what profession would you absolutely not want to do? 
don't think there's many. Um, I'd be interested in try. Uh, I don't think I'd want to be. I don't, I don't really want to work in supermarkets. Really, I mean, needs must, right? But yeah. I feel with much pity for the key workers which are working in supermarkets right now because it's horrible work and you have to do it. Um, and everyone else is sitting on there doing fuck all. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. The last question, which just takes out any of your, your, whatever your personal beliefs may or may not be on the topic. But if it were to transpire that heaven existed, what mm. would you want to hear said to you when you arrive? What would I want to hear said to me? Ooh. We're having a party. <laughs> <laughs> well, that answers the questions I had, but we've we've had a few sent in, if you don't mind taking a few short, short ones here. Uh, Chloe, who has uh, sent in a question from Berlin, um, is there a typically female role in theatre that you're itching to play? Good question. Um, uh, who there is? I mean, who is it? I remember it's it's a Shakespeare, a Shakespeare. Um, I guess I would love to play Lady M. That would be fun. Yeah. And is there, that uh, Mark from Essex has asked, is there a show that most people adore that you can't stand? <laughs> most musicals, sadly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, um, one specifically, I'm not the biggest Weber fan. Sorry, Weber, my lord. <laughs> uh, you know. He has a remarkably thick skin. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sean and Brighton has asked, what has been your favourite role to date? Favourite? Um, so I had the pleasure of playing Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet. And it was an immersive production on an island in the Thames. And I just, it was just exactly, I had the best relationship with the director and it was a great team and the, um, I was I was able to explore the role and in a way that I think just nailed it, and that was just a really shining moment I think for me in my career. Um, Timothy in Cardiff has uh, said, as a young director myself, I've been told that asking questions of your actors and the text is key. Aside from an, uh, anything specific to that play, what do you think is the most important question an actor can be asked in the rehearsal process? Oh, okay. So um, I would say that uh, how does that make you feel and what are you going to do about it? That, those two questions are connected, I think, um, is that really understanding how something makes you feel and what you're going to do about it is... I think a really important uh, question, plural, to, to know. And finally, uh, Barry in North London um, says, "What are or asked? What are you most proud of in both your professional and your personal life?" 
most proud of. Oh, I just feel so lucky to have so many things that I'm that I'm proud of. I mean, this is I'm super proud of this. Um, uh, but I think I'm most proud of my friendships. Actually, I mean that sounds like a shit answer because <laughs> I'm ignoring all work. But um, I've got some really wonderful friends, and uh, I'm most proud of them. Dunham Spare, thank you very much indeed. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to Dark Unicorn in Conversation with Denham Spur, written, presented, and edited by Paddy Cooper, theme music by Curtis Batson. Special thanks to the estate of James Lipton, Eliza Goroya, Rhys McMahon, Pleasance Theatre, The King's Head Theatre, 5016 Street, and Amazon Prime, and the producers of Happily Ever Pufter. The show was executive produced for a Dark Unicorn Productions Limited by Eleanor Statton. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.